0: Welcome, everybody. We are in Ezekiel 36. If um, you haven't been with us for a while, if you haven't been with us, we, we already slugged through all the really terrible stuff, and now we're into the really delightful stuff. Uh, some of us have really, I don't know, I, I think it's, um, I made this comment to someone else, I think it's changed the preaching a little bit. I don't know if you've sensed that or not. Um, Ezekiel is willing to call a thing what it is, which is one of Luther's uh, theses that he gave at Heidelberg in 1518 as a, theolog- a theologian of the cross uh, calls a thing what it is and Ezekiel does um, and it's not like crude joking or something like that um, no he's just being honest so when he calls he calls their idols fecal deities that's our, that's our t- tame translation so that we're, you're not like always snickering every time pastor calls them shit gods or something right we don't want to do that oops um, that's not crude it's meant to actually offend you And so he does that. But the offense is for the sake of the gospel. And I think we need to talk about that a little bit today. Because we we lose sight of um, the convicting character of God's word, I suppose. So wasn't it interesting the way that the Pharisees were to be convicted not by their their, um, ignorance of the Sabbath, but actually by their keeping of the Sabbath. Isn't that interesting? Jesus actually brought, they could say nothing. They had no response. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? And he says, which of you has a, you know, a son or an ox or whatever falls in well on a Sabbath doesn't lift him out, right? And to that, they could answer nothing. So they were convicted not by their disobedience to the Sabbath, but actually by their keeping of the Sabbath because they kept the Sabbath in such a way. It was strict by the adherence of the word, but it had no spirit. There was no spirit of love. All right. And you see this often. Jesus says it in another place, right? Could have brought this up too. Uh, What's he say? Was the Sabbath made for man or man for the Sabbath? What's the answer? Sabbath made for man or man for the Sabbath? Sabbath was made for man. Right. It was given to you as a gift, right? To hear God's word, to set apart, to stop your work. (laughs) Some of you have problems with that, I'm sure. Yeah. And then um, used to. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And then, uh, But also uh, for the sake of love, that you have an opportunity then to look to your neighbor in love and not be constantly, you know, at the grind, <coughs> grindstone. All right, so, um, but the way the Pharisees understood it was the inverse, right? That they, that the Sabbath, they were made for the Sabbath, right? And that's that whole idea that by keeping the law, you somehow please God rather than recognizing God gives the law because of trespasses to keep you from doing the things you want to do, which it fails at anyway, which is a whole nother... Well, he is the fulfillment of all the law. Right. So they failed to see that in him, he is the Sabbath rest. We have our rest in Jesus. We actually think saying that in one of the hymns, did we? Something like that. He is our Sabbath. He's our resting place. right? Now, actually, as I said in the sermon... Um, at least the Christian confession has long been that every day is a Sabbath because every day is a day that we celebrate the resurrection, which God says, you know, Jesus set us free. All right, so anyway, we, got, we slugged through all the harder stuff and now it's all going to be easy-peasy. That's sarcasm, if you didn't know. I use that sometimes. Easy-peasy. Easy-peasy. All right, so this we'll jump in here at verse 22 to give us a little context. But if you remember last week we did the first... The first 25 verses, and then we we stopped at verse 26. Was that? Oh, two weeks ago. So we should review a little bit. It's been two weeks. All right. So let's read. Oh, all right. Let's read what we read last time. One or 22 to 25. We'll we'll recap, and then we'll move on. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel. and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness, and from all your idols I will cleanse you. All right, hold up there. Good. All right, so remember we talked about this. Uh, If you don't remember, the handout from two weeks ago is back there. You can grab one, and you'll see it on the notes there. Uh, That this is pretty, it's not unique in the Scriptures, but it's different than what you would expect. Because usually what you would expect is God's, you know in covenantal language god says here's what i'm going to do for you and here's what you need to do for me right it's kind of a two-way agreement that's what that's how we use covenant these days isn't it like if you have a housing covenant it's like the the neighbors all agree that you're going to do the same thing and they're usually terrible rules right like you have to keep your grass a certain length or something i don't know but um yeah uh, tit for tat, or what, what's the other? Quid pro quo, you do this, I'll do that. Scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. That's kind of how people understand covenant. But not so much in the scriptures. Um, God is the first mover, of course. Um, he's the one that does the thing. And the res- but here's the thing that gets really mind-blowing. By the time you get to the New Testament, he, re- he definitely reveals explicitly to us that even our response to his half of the covenant, our response to it, he also gives us so he says I'm going to do this for you and then you're going to do this in response but he even gives the response to us as a gift of his spirit so that apart from God I can do nothing right but in God I do all things through him who strengthens me we're going to talk more about this as we go through so this is this is not like I feel like somebody had a conversation with me this week about this I don't know it's been a kind of crazy week the funeral was this week right Mm -hmm. (laughs) It was kind of a whirlwind there. We had two funerals this week. Okay. Um, anyway, the, the question was... Oh, now, see, now I lost the question when I thought about the funeral. Mm. It was... Mm. Lost it. All right, well, we'll come back to that thought. That thought will come back to me. Something about... Yeah, exactly. Oh, the, well, the word is divine monergism. Have you heard that term before? Monergism? Mono, mono, erges? soul work. It's God's work alone. We have a slogan for this in the Reformation Church. We call it by grace alone. Right? It's by God's giving alone. And so we would say that everything that belongs to salvation is by God's giving. And actually that belongs to our life is by God's giving too, our vocation and whatnot. And our wisdom and our intellect and our strength and our love and our patience kindness, all of that comes from God. That was in the sermon on Monday. All right. So this might sound a little radical because it doesn't really have much of a response from the people, but that's actually true through the whole scripture. Matt. Um, So I was talking with my dad a little bit about like where does the evil come from? Matt. Yeah. Saying you know all the good from God, He brings us the Holy Spirit to know the right way, the right way and whatnot, but He does not bring us to evil. He Mm. does us in a way that we have a propensity for that first. Yeah. So he, he gave us the capacity for evil, is what you're saying. Which, is a, this is a long-standing philosophical question. Abigail probably wrote a paper on this at some point, right? The problem of evil, right? Is God the author of evil, right? If he made us with a capacity for evil, then doesn't that make him the author of evil? Hmm, right. What is evil? That's also a good question, which most people think of good and evil as some kind of abstract concepts. Uh, this is all what we were going to talk about today anyway, so thanks. Um, Think of them as abstract concepts divorced from uh, any kind of source of knowledge, right? But we somehow, and it's true, written upon our hearts is the law, right? But we know that we're good at deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us, as quoting First John, right? So, God does tell us what's right and wrong. We have the capacity for evil, but does it come from him? Or does it come from the evil one? And that's your answer that's what you're looking for so temptation comes from our own sinful hearts which we've inherited from adam because they listen to the serpent The serpent still or the devil if you prefer continues to to deceive and to mislead and to lie right and he does that through either demonic powers or um, through those who deny who don't have faith in god he works through them thus the world itself um, is an agent of evil as well. It's been corrupted by our sin, by God's cursing, which is as close as you can get as God being the author of evil, probably. Um, but none of that is good, because it's not from God. It came from, from re- rebels. Uh, I love the way the hymn says it. Our rebel will uh, wrought death and and night. I think we used in prideful spite the wondrous gift of liberty. This is uh, O God, O Lord of heaven and earth, which we sing periodically. I haven't, wait, did we sing that yet since you've been here, Abigail? It's a hard one to play. It's a Franzman hymn. You know Franzman hymns? Yeah. Any pedal work, the whole deal. It's a mess. He like he makes the music, he makes, this is Inside Baseball. She knows this. Um, When the words are hard, he makes the music hard. (laughs) When he makes the music hard to sing or play or any, so that it's like, oh, we got to get through this part. Okay. Then we keep going, which is really brilliant. I don't know, who, it depends on who we use for a composer, Jan Bender or um, Carl Schalk or whoever. All right, so uh, what are we talking about? Problem of evil gives us the capacity for wrong... Okay, we're going to talk about that. So I answered it a little bit, but we're going to answer it from the text as we go. All right, so um, you'll note here, great diagnostic. We do, we do grammar in Bible study. Uh, one, because you don't learn grammar in school anymore, as I've learned. <laughs> Like I asked, Where's, what's the subject of the sentence? And they're like, what? We, I was the like, one of the last classes, the diagram sentences. Did any of you? Yeah. Some of you remember doing yeah. that, yeah. yeah. As much as I had no idea what was going on, because they just dropped it on us in like eighth grade or something, and we were the last class, I think, that did it. Um, I'm actually very thankful for it, because it made it easier to learn. Um, actually, I think I learned more grammar studying Greek than I did studying English. All right, anyway, what's the subject of the sentences here? For thus says the Lord God, there's a subject, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which... Oh, here's a subject. You, but what what are we doing? Profaning. Profaning. He's acting, we're profaning, to which I came, and I will vindicate the holiness of my name, which has been profaned among the nations which you have profaned. And the nations, there's another subject, Well, we'll know that I am the Lord when I, uh, through you, vindicate, and I will take you from the nation. You get the idea. You're getting the idea here, right? I will take you, gather you from the countries, and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle, there we go, sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean. So that's the result. That's passively. Shall, this word is very important, be clean means it's done to you. There's a difference between active voice. If you do like any of the grammar checkers, like in Word or something, it always doesn't want you to use passive voice to have anything done to you. It wants you doing everything. Right? But when it comes to the language of salvation or of the gospel, it's always passive. Active on God's part, passive on our part, received as a gift. So this is a great way to notice. Is it, is it something that comes as a fruit of the gospel? It's going to have passive voice. Be clean. You're going to be clean of all your uncleanness. And from your idols, there it is again, I will cleanse you. All right? So you can see, uh, I appears quite a bit. Only second clause of the sentence will you have um, you. Here in this case, you're actively profaning. (laughs) Um, um, Here they're, they're passive. This is passive too. They will know that I am the Lord. Well, how are they going to know? because of what he's going to do, right? So are they just going to come to this magical knowledge that he's the Lord of their, from their own hearts or minds? No. They're going to witness what God's going to do. So it will be given to them as well, right? And notice it's vindicating my name and my holiness. Um, so their, their actions, their behavior, um, is either, well, it's either going to be a confession of, of God... Or it's going to profane God his, or his name or his image. So we don't think of our disobedience to God, which we, we can define very precisely because he gave us 10 commands, we can use those. We don't think of it as being a profanity. Well, I don't, I, you know, this third commandment thing, I don't know why people are so hung up on it, but because they are, then pastor is too. Um, <laughs> keep having questions about it. But like, Um, Maybe generally people don't understand that it actually is scandalous to call yourself a member of a congregation and then not participate in the life of the congregation. It brings shame on yourself. It also profanes God's word because you're telling God that you don't agree with His word. How do we know that? Because you're not attentive to it, at least in the public assembly. Maybe you are privately, but... um, as the writer of the Hebrews says, do not forsake the gathering together as some of you have done, all right? So it's contrary to God's word. So we don't think about actually our sins bringing like profaning God. We just think it's like it's just me, right? My sins are just about me, but then of course faith is about me and God, but my sins aren't. And you're like, wait a minute. Sin is a confession of faith. What? What's pastor talking about? Who you believe in? <laughs> You Sin is contrary to God's words, so who do you believe in? Not God, but something else. Probably yourself, most of all. I believe in myself. <laughs> that's not funny. I worship myself. I am a God. That's why, that's why I go up and I have a magic thing I go up in, and then I get to say all my magic words to you. I, I use a lot of sarcasm in Bible study, not in the pulpit. In, uh, yeah, okay. All right, let's clear that out. Um, the key was, we spent a lot of time on verse 25. We talked about, we talked about how baptism has not yet been instituted, um, but ritual washings and cleansings are certainly part of the Levitical rite. They did it in Leviticus, right? The priests would wash before they put on their, their vestments. Um, you, after a time of impurity, you would, be ritually, you would go for ritual washing. So um, women, after the after menstruation, would go and be cleansed, and then they'd be pure. All right, so that's the idea. But here, it's being uncle- the uncleannesses is the profanity, the idolatry. So, from all your idols, I will cleanse you. How is he going to cleanse them of their idols? This doesn't sound like a, like a sprinkling of water, does it? What does it sound like? How's he going to cleanse out the idols with water? What? With water? No, with water. Like in New York. Yeah, with, with lots of water. <laughs> this, is a, this is flood language, right? Which we also use in baptism as well. So you hear that with, um, with that. Uh, we did verse 26 last, last time, didn't we? Yeah, we did. Okay. All right, so this is, this is famous, famous section. We hear this reading on Good Shepherd Sunday, which for us is the fourth Sunday of Easter, is it? Or third, I can't remember. You'll have to go back and look. Whenever we have Good Shepherd, we sing Psalm 23, the Lord's my shepherd, I'll not want, all of that. Um, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. Uh, anybody anybody tried to do a heart transplant on themselves? <laughs> nope? Okay. So you notice where it has to come from. It has to come from God. Um, a spirit, right? We have like a spirit of the age, I suppose. But we're going to talk a little bit more about what kind of spirit this is. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. So we talked about um, about the heart. We should probably do this. We read this, but... I gave you more notes. So we're on the new sheet. OK, well, there we go. 26:25. So another way to think about this. Um, we have the doctrine of justification and sanctification. You've heard that before? Big words used in church. To be justified is to be made right with God. If you like, broadly speaking, that's forgiveness of sins, um, or specifically, I should say, broadly, we call that the gospel, or maybe somewhere in between would be something like Christ crucified, right? is um, to justify you. You can read Article 4 of the Augsburg Confession for that. But um, following justification uh, is sanctification, being made holy. So now that God has forgiven you, he sets you apart um, as his workmanship for good works, if you like. So um, good works, that is works defined by him is what is good. We don't get to define what a good work is. He does. So... um, and actually, our works are, none of our works are good because they're all corrupted by our flesh. They're made good by the forgiveness of sins. Also important to note. So sanctification. Uh, I think Ephesians, my, my confirmation verse, not Allie's, mine, is uh, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. Um, but So that's, for, by grace we've been saved through faith. and This is not our own doing. It is a gift of God. Not by works, lest anyone should boast. And then verse 10, which my sister likes to point out, I always forget, is... Um, And we were created by God as his workmanship. Prepared um, for good works beforehand. So that's the next verse. So the problem is people a lot of times get works before faith rather than faith then works. Does that make sense? First he justifies you apart from works. right? And then um, he works within you. But how could he possibly do such a thing? How could he be working in you? Luther likes the language of instrument. Instrument. Right. So who, what kind of instruments can we have? Dorothy, what kind of instrument are you? A crayon. Yeah, you're a crayon, right? And crayon colors. Uh, Esther is a trumpet. What do trumpets do? Oh, you're a flower. Well, I guess a flower could be an instrument, can it? Of God's beauty. I did engage them. I did engage them. I don't know what an instru- a dinosaur can be an instrument of. A fear and terror. Okay, usually we use it like utensils, musical instruments, pianos, right? Things that do hammer, can't do anything apart from somebody wielding it, right? So we are instruments of God, meaning we can do nothing good apart from Him, in a sense, wielding us, using us for His good. Make sense? All right, but how is that going to happen? All right, that's the second half. That's verse 26 so first he cleanses us that is justifies us then he sanctifies us that is he gives us a new heart and a new spirit removing the heart of stone from your flesh and giving you a heart of flesh mm-hmm. problem with a heart of stone of course is um, that's that's not an obtuse reference to Pharaoh probably but I'll also many of the other examples what if, when people harden their heart what does that mean? Turn away from God. not only do they turn away from God they're probably already turned away but the preacher comes to them, preaches God's word, and what happens to it? Does it go into their heart? No, because it's hard, right? It's like a rock. Right? So you see that with Pharaoh. Over and over, Moses comes and preaches. Actually, good news for God's people, right? We're going to go into the wilderness and worship, right? And we're going to be set free, to think of the gift of liberty we heard about today. Um, But to Pharaoh, this is terrible because he's going to lose his cheap labor. (laughs) Right? Um, You know, it's hard to build those pyramids without all those uh, Israelites. Or Hebrews, I guess, at that point. So his heart is hard. Um, What words did I give you? Obstinate? Does that sound right? Stubborn? Cold? Unresponsive? Incorrigible? That's a fun word. What's the difference between justification and atonement? ah okay yeah so atonement is an old word going to i mean justification is also in the old testament but atonement is drawing your attention to um the atoning lamb so atoning it just means a blood covering yeah it means to be covered with blood i don't know why but that's what it means probably the probably the equivalent for us is absolution which also you hear solution liquid right ab to be covered with liquid what? Are, when we're absolved, we're forgiven by the blood of Jesus. Which, so all over in the Old Testament, the, the, the poor people, you know, going, they're getting blood sprinkled on them all the time. <laughs> so the priests are covered in blood. The people are sprinkled with blood. And uh, thankfully, we have, we have farmers here. So that those, the kids understand this all. They're like, "Ooh, that would stink. I'm like, yeah, it would stink. Like justification is forgiveness? Mm-hmm. Yeah, simply put. I mean, it involves everything involved in us being made right with God. Um, But simply put, we could just say forgiveness. I'm simplifying things. I had the same problem with the sermon today. Because it's like, I'm going to cover a lot of ground here, but I can't explain everything. So that's why I threw in the note somewhere through there. I'm like, you're just going to have to think about this (laughs) later in the day. Maybe go read the sermon, go listen to it again. Because it's so contrary to our nature. I don't know how to... Say it in a way that I can convince you it's true. I just have to tell you what's true. All right. So here's the same thing. We don't believe this either because we think of our hearts as like, well, we know that their blood's going through them, right? I think anybody not have no coronary? You can't like completely bypass your heart. (laughs) You can only bypass the coronary stuff, right? So, um, but here's what happens. You get a heart transplant and it's a heart made by God. Uh, that's a flesh. Meaning, if it's a flesh, then what can happen to it? Unlike a heart of stone, nothing can get in, right? What about a heart of flesh? It's open. It's open, right. Not only that, it's probably useful, <laughs> <laughs> right? Um, so, let's see here. Where was I on the sheet? Oh! Uh, yes, a new heart and a new spirit are given to the baptized, I would suggest. Here you can hear echoes of what we sang this morning, our offertory. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. So Ezekiel's not making this up. It's right in the psalm, right, from David, which was after his, um, actually after his adultery affair and murder and whatnot with Bathsheba when he sang that cast me not away from thy presence and take not thy holy spirit from me so you see david's confessing i need a new heart and a new spirit as well in the psalm which is what's the ma- doing the math how many years before hundreds is it a- it's not a thousand when's david what's david's years anybody remember oh um. chronology is not my strong point all right anyway it's before this Uh, Now, today, we usually use heart and spirit um, or heart and soul kind of synonymously. But they are different in the scriptures. All right, ladies and gentlemen here. That's not helpful. All right. So um, in Hebrew, heart has to do with some of the things we we consider part of our mind. But mind is kind of a Greek notion. So it's your rational faculties. Um, But your heart has emotion, so we use it that way, right, like Valentine's Day. But it also has to do with your will. Like, my heart's not in it refers to, like, whether or not you want to do something or not, right? That's true in Hebrew as well. But it also, the things that we usually put with our mind, like logic, actually belong to the heart in Hebrew. Oh. Right, and then, like, emotional responses. um, We still have that around a little bit in our language idiom. Um, Like, if you have a gut instinct, Right. People have their... their, Yeah. So in Hebrew, that's, that's a Hebrew way of thinking. is like the instinctual, emotional kind of way of acting comes from the gut. Jesus, when he has compassion on the people, it literally means his insides churned for the people. But you've had that feeling probably, right? Like when somebody, you know, you haven't seen somebody for a long time and then they're leaving and when they're leaving again, it's like, you know, you feel it kind of well up inside of you. We have all language. We have the same language. All right. Or if something happens, and you get like an upset stomach sometimes too, right? Oh, you're talking about a good thing. Oh yeah, I gotcha, I gotcha. Alright, so, a new heart, um, this is the second paragraph, will be impressionable and malleable, yielding to God His will and His Spirit, who works through His Word. So, the implication is that a heart of stone is incompatible with the creaturely nation God has originally given Adam and Eve and incompatible with God's redemptive purposes. So, in order to be saved, He has to give you the heart transplant. The sinful nature cannot be trained or tamed, it must be surgically removed. That's not how people think of the law. That was in the sermon today. They think if we just have better rules, then, then people will behave better. They have the wrong heart and the wrong spirit. Um, some of our, the founders of our country, not to get too political, um, actually acknowledge this. Madison is the one that comes to mind, but I think others did too. Is that immoral men will make a moral government regardless of how good the laws are. All right. So, I mean, because it's all about enforcement, right? You actually you actually have to believe it. And they don't believe the laws. Of, well, yeah, what do they call it? Two-tier justice or something? Isn't that what we call it today? Yeah. So it's an insurrection if the wrong people break into the Capitol. It's not an insurrection if the right people pull the fire alarm and cause a disruption. I mean... And it's like, well, you're not going to apply equal standard, then it's not actually a law at all anymore. Is it? Yeah, Yeah, and it's because their heart's not in it. They're not actually moral. The people who make and administer our laws aren't moral people. And they're not moral because they have no external source of morality. That's why it changes all the time. We never know what's right and wrong because it... Like, on that day, you thought it was okay to walk through the Capitol, just to pick an example. Uh, and then you find out, oh, actually, there's laws we can use against you now. Even though we welcomed you to walk through, and we, ex- we escorted you through, the police opened the doors. It doesn't matter, because the law was, act- we're actually, post facto, we're going to change, basically change the way we use the laws to go against you. So, Which is immoral. It's fundamentally immoral. Oh my God, Well, that's true. I mean, although we have civil laws, but who defines what is commending what is good and punishing what is evil? How are you going to define good and evil? Jesus. Yes. Correct. Correct. Right. Uh, And because there is no external source of morality amongst our, our pagan people today, or whatever it is today, then then it's a moving target, and nobody knows what's right and wrong anymore. You can't, because you don't know what laws you've broken. I mean, you've, how many felonies did you commit on the way to church today? Something like three, I think it is. There's a book on this. All right, so anyway, sorry for the distraction. We need a change of heart, uh, and that heart has to come from outside of us. All right. Uh, yes, the sinful nature cannot be trained or tamed. It must be surgically removed. This is essentially the same as Paul's confession of baptism. Romans six, you know quite well. We were buried thereforth with him, through baptism, into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. So this is going to be the beginning of many chapters in a row from Ezekiel, which are basically death and resurrection, is what he's talking about. And I would make the argument to you uh, you can put this paradigm in your head, the way of thinking, is that that's the only story in the Bible is dying and rising to life again. It happens over and over. This is why Luther says the life of the Christian is one of, is one of daily dying and rising. Quoting Paul in Romans 6. But Paul's not pulling this out of his hat. You can just look at the history of Israel. Death and resurrection. You have little, little resurrections, but never the big resurrection. we keep waiting for that. Did I see a hand? Okay, good. Next, I will put my spirit within you how can he do that? Because you have a heart of flesh. There you go. And cause you... All right, so there's, this is passive language, right? Cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. So where does obedience to the law come from, for example? Does it come from your heart? From your flesh? Nope. No, from the spirit that's put within you. So that Paul will boldly say... That it is not I who do these things, but it is Christ who is in me who does them, namely working by his spirit. So um, this is similar to your question, Matt, but it's another way of talking about this. Is that um, I, apart from Christ I can do nothing, right? And so most of the Christian life, there's a couple different ways you could say this. You could say it is getting used to our sanctification. So God has set us apart, and He's given us a new heart and a new spirit, His Spirit. Right. And then we're just, it's so weird to say, I'm just going to do what, what Jesus would have me do. That we don't, it takes a long time for us to get used to that. Instead, we always want to revert back to the things we know, which is ultimately the flesh and the law and other things. That's one way to say it. Um, getting used to our sanctification. You can write that down. Um, the other, but the other way to say it, what was I going to, I don't know what the other way. My mind is not working today. I'm so Sorry. Well, well, I mean, but I think there's an example that you, especially parents, will understand is that obedience doesn't come by the law. right? Now, it is the law is necessary for love. Like, you don't love your children if you don't discipline them. Right? Um, you all know this, right? But it's hard. It's a hard lesson because it doesn't seem very lovely. But to leave them especially if their disobedience is contrary to God's Word, not just against you or against some arbitrary rules, but in particular against God's Word. To leave them in that is to leave them in their sin. Can you think of any less lovely thing you could do? This, this applies to any of the authorities, you know, um, offices that God has established with that kind of authority. So that he's given parents to preach that to their children. He's given pastors to preach that to congregations. And he does give civil rulers that too. They do hold a position of authority. But I know Matt's thinking, but they don't use it rightly almost ever. (laughs) Yeah, Luther calls the civil use the failed use. So fair enough. Um, You know, when we pray the litany, I'm like, the people who wrote this had godly princes. Yeah, they also lived immoral lives, but at least they gave a token nod and they went to church. They, I mean, they maybe they even tried. I don't know, but they weren't like openly rebellious against, you know, opposition to the church. The people who wrote the litany. Um, but the Christian church has known that kind of opposition from civil rulers. Just think all the oppression under the Romans, for example. So, all right. Sorry if I'm a little scatterbrained, but you get the idea. I think. I will cause you to walk in my statutes. Be careful to obey my rules. You can't do these things. Only Christ who is in you does them. It does it by his spirit. Oh, I know what I was going to say. Thank you for reminding me. Mind, I said to my mind. Money, 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 money. No, we're not talking about Money. <laughs> Now you just distracted me again. Why did you do that? Um, another way to say, like, getting used to sanctification is, like, the Christian life is learning how to get out of the way of God. You know? And he, he's teaching us that all the time. Don't do that. Do this. Stay here. Don't go there. Getting out of the way of God so that he... Or um, Dr. Norman Nagel, of blessed memory, is now deceased. He said it this way, that God's word would have his way with you. I've used that in sermons. Right? I mean that's that's our prayer that God would actually have his way with us being yeah it is a sense of surrender it's also a sense I mean Paul actually calls it being slaves of Christ which sounds horrible with chattel slavery and all of that language but it's like no we want to be bound I mean in the same way that husband and wife are bound to each other and serve one another or are slaves to one another if you want Matt you remember that I just said she can call you slave if it's not already true in practice, now it is theologically. Oh, he does not like that. <laughs> right, but uh, think, about, think about how um, St. Mary at the wedding at Cana said it to Jesus, right? Or said to the servants. Jesus rebukes her, like, what is what is running out of wine have to do with me? But she says to the servants, do whatever he tells you. She binds them to him. Right, Listen to his word and do what he tells you. it's a beautiful picture of what, really, what the church is given. One of the things the church is given to say is listen to Jesus. Do what he says. Right? He says, take and eat. So take and eat it. Now, you could hear that as a command, right? Or take and drink. It is a command. Take and eat. Take and drink. But attached to the command is a blessing. So why wouldn't you do it? You don't want to be blessed? You want to be blessed? Blessing. Yeah, so you went through instruction, you were examined and absolved, and you received the blessing today. First time we'll here, what will be many times, right? It will continue to bless you. And it will no longer be a command. I mean, it never really was a command probably for you. You just wanted it because that's what faith says. I want what's good for me, and this is what you tell me is good for me. So you can always look at it both ways. All right, where were we? You shall... Uh, did I have more to say on that? Oh, I did. Look at that big paragraph. <laughs> Oh no! Well, we've talked a lot about this um, already, but um, we want our spirit to be His spirit, and it's not that we don't—we have have a separate spirit. Um, We have a separate heart, in a sense, too. He has His heart; we have our heart. But what we want is those two things to be together. Right? Another kind of actually, marriage uses that picture sometimes. Right? Two hearts beating in one. By the way, you want to—you want to know how to synchronize everybody's hearts in the room, so we're all beating in sync. You can do it. You know how to do it? Sing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. If you have a sense of rhythm. If you don't have a sense of rhythm, your heart may never sync up. Yeah. After you sync, you'll find everybody... Because we breathe together, our heart rates will synchronize. You didn't know that. Yeah. So you want, you want the unity of hearts beating as one, which is we actually talked about in Ephesians? Sing. The communion of saints. Right. We're joined together. Has one heart beating with Christ. That's important. Music is important. That's one of the reasons music is important. I'm just using science, but okay. But it is scriptural too. Somebody say something? Yeah. Um, speaking of singing, yeah. the last hymn one wanted us to sing after communion. Yeah. You like that one? 744 in the bulletin. Yes, I know. You were singing the wrong words? No, he's like looking at a where it I forgot to announce before church. It's easy for us to make a mistake, 744 it's just one... You can forgive Allie. We forgive you. Yeah, right. Well, you should know that one by heart. Uh, but we'll have to teach it to the children and then go on. they that for every time they have
1: yeah, for meals, right.
0: Yeah. 774 So I keep meaning to do it and, you keep, and now you're reminding me to print it off on like a little index card so we can have it like when we have pop, you know our, our family thing thing what we call it family lunchtime but it's actually lunch time But dinner is lunch Is it? Yes. The farm yeah. yeah, dinner supper especially on Sunday, like the big meal is Sunday afternoon. Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're having a problem moving forward now. Okay. All the things that I was just telling you about, about you could broadly call it the category of new obedience, which is actually, we have an article in the uh, Augsburg Confession that's called the, or it's a section, I should say, of Augsburg 4 called the new obedience. You can go read about it. Um, Here's all the other ways you can talk about what we just said. right? The heart's beating in one, new, new spirit, heart of flesh, all of that. This is, I would suggest this is probably the thing that we're, hmm, I don't know. It's one of the things that we're definitely not very good at communicating with folks. Is this, uh, the idea that, that our obedience is not ours, but it is, it is ours, but by giving, God gave it to us in Christ. Mm. Just as we don't really understand what freedom is like because we want to live as slaves. Yeah. Our civil government is a great example of that. But you know what the taxation rate was under the Roman government? It was, it was one day's labor was the income tax. Mm-hmm. Yep. So if you made a denarius a day, it was one denarius. Whatever one divided by 365 is... Right. Yeah, I mean, we're effectively debt slaves. And then we ask, give me more debt because I want more services. Okay, well, whatever. Um, Okay, so let's move on. I think that's enough on that. I gave you lots of citations there. You can go read that third paragraph. It It will help you. Let's keep reading. We are at verse 28, right? All right, let's read that. Okay. You shall behold yeah. the land that I gave to your fathers, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God. And I will deliver you from all your uncleanness, and I will summon the great... It's uncleanness. S- <laughs> s- <laughs> oh, yeah, it's all good. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And I will summon the great and make it upon and lay no famine upon you will meet the fruit of the tree and increase of the field of the that you may ever again suffer the disgrace of family among the nations then you will remember your evil ways and your deeds that were not good and you will loathe yourselves for your iniquities and your abominations it is not for your sake that I will death but no let that be known to you be ashamed and your for your ways or all right hold up there <coughs> Okay, we talked about before um, one of the ways that sin is manifest is not just in our lives and our attitudes, our flesh, but the assaults of the devil and the, and, uh, and the demonic host. But the third way is the world, which is a hard thing for us to get our heads around, I think, especially since, I probably made a note about this on here somewhere. Yeah, it's on the backside. That so much of what we hear today is an idolatry of the world I mean creation right as if it's I mean Christians even say this and I, I would discourage you from ever calling creation mother earth right that kind of animistic kind of view um, I know it's just an expression that people say mother earth is mad with us haha ha, funny and you're like well wait a minute God made the heavens and the earth so are you saying God's mad at you Right, you're okay if mom's mad at you, but for some reason not if it's God the Father. <laughs> yeah, right. Mom's not mad. Mom's happy with you. Naomi's Naomi was mad in church, you're right. Because we talked too much. She was like, It's time to sing. Why are we talking? It was too much talking. Um Naomi yes, Naomi went home. Thank you. Okay. I'm white-knuckling it here. <laughs> Out of the mouth of space. Okay, so creation. We don't want to deify creation, but we do have to recognize that God cursed creation. The thing he made, he cursed. Right? We know that he can do that because he did destroy the world with a flood, and then he said, I won't do that again. The next time it's going to be with fire. All right. Um, and is that because creation is not good? It was good. But he, but he cursed it because of Adam's sin. Because Adam was to be... This, the symbology of this is pretty remarkable. Adam is the apex of creation. Man is the apex of creation. We do have authority over all creation. We are given to have dominion over it. Genesis 1, right? But because Adam rebelled against God, then Adam's dominion also now is in rebellion against God. So creation... Right? So sickness, disease, I mean, the most obvious is death, which we experienced um, with the funeral this week, um, but also other things like disasters. They're, they're actually man's fault, but not in a sense of like we made Mother Earth mad at it. It's because we forfeited our dominion, and now it, just like us, is rebelling against God too, which is why it's consigned to destruction on the last day. But not for it, but not without... Its own kind of resurrection right the new heavens and the new earth um, so there is kind of a fallacy at, at play with the environmental movement and the deification of of creation is that um, we think that we can somehow appease creation and to make it happy with us again the the most like paul ehrlich and i can't remember some of these other names the guys that were part of like Club of Rome back in the day that we talking about, they, they were at least honest. They said, the only way we're going to make nature happy with us is if we just get rid of ourselves. We have to depopulate. Mm-hmm. You know, When they say reduce your carbon credit, they mean reduce you, because mm-hmm. you're made out of carbon. So they just want less people. Right? This is why they, they convince us not to have people, <laughs> children, and then they ship people in from somewhere else. So they can depopulate one area, populate another area, you know, rich resources can be harvested from one place. Anyway, these are all central planning kind of ideas. Because they're God. That's the whole deceit of it. They say that nature is your God, but actually they, they're God. The people who are trying to tell you what, what's right and wrong on this. Well, it's, all, it's all a mistake. It's all a mistake. God actually preserves creation providentially for you for the sake of faith. So he is at work in creation, restraining creation from being what it could be just as he restrains you from the worst of your offenses <laughs> right for the sake of faith for the sake of love for neighbor right so the only reason the world's not gone completely to hell is because God is holding it back until the day until all the saints are numbered right so that makes the world seem a little bit different place I think like why is there so much hostility in the world because it's the world it's the corrupt sinful world why can't politicians do the right thing? Because they have no faith in God. So they're living as people of this, of this world. Right? Yeah, exactly. Right. It's like, where'd Moses go? Oh, I don't know. Let's build a calf. That's as good as Moses. Weird. All right. So, the beautiful thing here... Ha, all right, we wanted some beauty. That was kind of negative. Is once you're delivered from your uncleanness, once you've been given the new heart and His Spirit is dwelling in you... Right? Then, he get, then he's returning them to the land that he promised to his fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And you shall be my people, and I will be your God. First commandment. Right? You shall have no other gods? Guess who fixes the first commandment? Do you obey the first commandment? Do you have other gods? Be honest. Yes, you do. What does God do about it? Ch- changes your heart, gives you his spirit, renews a steadfast spirit within you, Psalm 51, and then, so that you, he is your God and you are his people. That's not on you, that's on him. Which is good, right? It's his gift. And I will deliver you from all your uncleannesses. Yeah, it's parcel tongue. And I will summon the grain, which he always does, but here it's part of a promise. I will summon the grain and make it abundant and lay no famine upon you. Oh, by the way, you do see that often in the Old Testament, don't you? God puts a famine on the people to repent them. He could use creation against us. Uh, yeah, we had it two weeks in a row with Elijah, right? The famine that led to him with the jar of oil not be- and flour not being spent. And then the death of the son you know, during the famine under Ahab, or Ahaz. Excuse me. Uh, and I will make the fruit of the tree increase of the field abundant. We always pray for these sorts of things. That you may never again, and that's the difference, suffer the disgrace of famine among the nations. So all the nations who know nothing of God, they look to the status of Israel, of those people, as an indication of the power or authority of their God. All right, This is true of the Christian church too. Others look at the Christian church, the congregation in particular, and they, they use that to judge whether or not what we preach and teach is true or not. So if they look at a, at a Christian congregation, and they say, look at how they love one another then they're, then necessarily Paul reminds us that they're going to ask and we need to be prepared to make a defense for the hope that is in us. Why do you guys do that for each other? Why do you have these meals on? It's like, why don't you just go home or just go watch a football game or whatever it is. They're like, no, it's, we actually want to show love for one another. I'm like, well, why do you want to do that? Right? They're not your family. They're, they're not even your friends. Well, we might be friends, but... Uh, no, he said, it's not I who do these things. Christ who is in me. Well, who's Jesus? What, do you, what Jesus tells you to, what? You have all sorts of things you can explain, right? And they'll be like, that's all crazy talk. And they're like, it's fine, but come and see. <laughs> Just come and see, right? And they're like, oh, that's amazing. Or forgiving one another would be the, the craziest thing they would ever see. Because we don't forgive anybody. We can't forgive our politicians, which is why I never like praying for them, because I don't want to forgive them. <laughs> Magistrates. Like our corrupt judicial system, like don't ever go to trial because you will probably lose, and if you don't lose, you're gonna go bankrupt, because they'll they'll keep yeah, because you have to appeal it to the point where you don't have any money left, and then you just have to accept the charges. All right, but Christians say no, that's not how that's not how we're going to think, that's not how we're going to talk, that's not what we're going to believe, is that God God is at work in creation, like I said, restraining um, evil, delivering us from evil as we pray in the Lord's Prayer. Hmm. So can He deliver us from evil tyrants? Uh, Is is He God or not? Right? That's the point. Uh, Now it is true though. He does consign this world to destruction. It is the the proving ground of of the devil and his angels. By God's giving, right? He delivered it over to the devil. Well, we did. And then God said, okay, and let it go. Um, But He's not left us without without hope, because he's promised to deliver us, to forgive us, right? Deliver us from the evil one. We were gonna talk about that, but we haven't gotten to it yet. All right, Um, so what's he gonna do? All all of creation, this is all end times talk, I would suggest. I mean, they are gonna be delivered back, but the land is never gonna be like he describes here. So we're still looking to it. This is all the language of Eden. But it's actually greater than Eden in a way. Because it's coming out of nothing. Well, Eden came out of nothing too, I suppose. Alright, and then notice what's going to happen here. He took away the disgrace of the famine among the nations. So all the nations are going to look and be like, what is it with Israel? What happened to these people? Look at what their God has done. Not only did he send them in exile, but he brought them back and he made them even better than they were before. He put them to death to raise them up again. Which is what he does with us each day. Alright? Then... You will remember your evil ways and your deeds that were not good, and you will loathe yourselves for your iniquities and your abominations. I love this word for loathe yourselves. I think I translated it for you on here somewhere. What verse is that? 31. Feel nauseous in your face. <laughs> Was that th- you're going to throw up a little bit in your mouth. That would be how we'd say it today. When you remember your your evil ways and your deeds that were not good. That's accurate. (laughs) Yeah. But the only way that that your old self is going to disgust you is if you've been given a new self. Am I right? Yeah. It's in contrast. You're like, oh, I used to be like that. Ooh, Really? I lived that way? I thought those things? Yeah, I did. And they disgust you. And they should. (laughs) Right? And they should. All right, And we'll talk about what maybe that might do for you. It is not for your sake that I will act, declares the Lord God. Or I would say not, it's not for your sake alone anyway, that I will act. Let it be known to you, be ashamed and confounded for your ways, O house of Israel. All right. So one of the essential parts of the Christian life, I would suggest to you, and not one that most of us were ever taught um, to practice, is, the, is actually to confess privately to the pastor and be absolved. So when your sins come to remembrance, when you throw up a little bit in your mouth, when you remember how it was, that's, that's a call to confession. So just confess it to God and say, this is how I feel about my sins that I had. I know you've cleansed me from them, but I remembered them. He doesn't want you to remember them, so he absolves them. He says, I forgive you. I wash them again, over and over. And uh, some reason we lost this practice. I think it's because we turned it into a law. That would be my guess. Some of you were around when you had to go to confession before you went to the sacrament, right? You remember that? It was probably when you, it's probably been gone most of your lifetime. Oh, really? <laughs> like, I'm sure it was gone by here. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You're probably back here somewhere. Yeah. I'm talking. When you were when you would still confess privately to the pastor, all right? Well see I got one record past the zap of the corner of that one. Right. Just, that was a 56 like that. Right. Oh, oh. Yeah. Nice tie. Pocket square. Good. Yeah, my picture's up there too. That would be that would be old fashioned stall for the vacancy retired vacancy. Okay. He would meet over you'd meet over at the school. You confessed to him privately. See what happens by saying you have to confess before you can comm- before you can commune is what have you just done to what's supposed to be a gift to you? Made it law. Made it the law, right? Now I know Allie's looking at me because she's thinking, wait a minute, Pastor, you made me go through all these classes before I could have the good Lord's Supper. That's not what I was okay, that's good. <laughs> I'm, no, no, it's good. I just had two years of this. No, but <laughs> I've no. Oh, what would you confess about? That's a very good question. Thank you for asking. Um, Right, so this is in um, the small catechism. Thank you, Luke. Luke quoted the small catechism, which um, is the office of the keys, and then we have a whole right for confession in there too, in the small catechism. The catechism does not have in its mind at all what we consider confession before church. It's not there this corp- corporate confession that we do is confession and absolution. I'm not saying it's not. You are confessing and being forgiven, but in a general way. We could call it the general absolution if you want. It's declaring what's true. And yes, pastor is saying, I forgive you all your sins. That's true. But as Luke pointed out, the catechism reminds us that we know and feel particular sins in our heart. Those are revealed by God's word. Sometimes after the sermon. <laughs> you heard something in the sermon. right? And that's the opportunity. Some of you have taken advantage of this. We did it in Lent. Not last year, maybe. Maybe the year before. Um, oh, because we had the meal last year. and I think I did it before. Anyway, it doesn't matter. We'll do it after services, maybe. Um, it's there. Like, you can confess generally and hear absolution personally. So that's part of the benefit is that you get to hear it in your ears, right? In the name of Jesus, I forgive you all your sins. And you're like, okay, there's no question that it was for me, right? So that's the, that's the chief benefit. The second benefit is that... I don't want you saying out loud before church, hey, pastor, let me tell you what I did this week, <laughs> right? And then we all, get to, we all get to have our struggle session and admit all our faults because that would be so performative on the first hand. Those sins don't need to be exposed in public unless they were a public sin and you want to confess it publicly, which I have to do sometimes since I hold a public office, right, a pastor. I <laughs> sin publicly. I have to. It's good for me to confess it publicly. Um, but the absolution is for you personally. All right, guys, keep your hands to yourself. Right. So I think the reason why it fell into neglect and disuse over the last 70 years or so is because it was made an obligation and not a gift. Right? Now, you can hear it that way. If you don't confess your sins, they are stuck to you. Right? That's the office of the keys. Whoever sins you remit, they're remitted. Whoever sins you do not retain, they are retained. Those who don't confess have their sins stuck to them. They're like, it's like a tar and feather kind of thing. So that, that's the law side of it. But the, the point of confessing and being absolved is that it's forgiven, it's taken away, which is a glorious gift, and it's far greater than any of the kind of difficulty it is to just say the thing out loud. Um, but it always seems like it's going to be harder to say it than it is, maybe. So that's the, that's the problem, I think, is that we've lost sight of just the, the, the great benefit of, of confessing. And actually saying, this is against God's word. And I, I thought it, I believe it, or I, I did it. right? And then, and then you will see actually the, the benefit of hearing that absolution personally is that I, the Spirit works in it in amazing ways. And you'll see, at least in my experience as pastor, you'll see people, their lives amended by the Spirit at work in that absolution. I'm not going to make you do it though. In the same way, I don't want to make you go to church. Why would I do that? And I can't, actually. I can tell you to come to church if you're not, but I can't make you do it. It's got to be the Spirit working in you to do it. But the only reason I want you to come to church is because I love you and I want you to hear God's Word, because it's good for you. Of course, you think I'm just being a meanie pants. I'm sorry. Which is true, too. I'm, I'm totally mean. I'm a terrible person. All right, thank you. <laughs> I was being sarcastic in my confession, though, so I'm so sorry. All right, and then you see the kind of the same thing recapitulated here. Thus says the Lord God, on that day I will cleanse you. Yeah, this will be it. Cleanse you from all your iniquities. We already heard that. I will cause the cities to be inhabited and the waste places to be rebuilt. So this is interesting because we hate cities. Who, who likes living in cities? No. Right? But here the cities are rebuilt, the waste places... Um, and the city walls are built up again. The land that was desolate will be, shall be tilled instead of being a desolation uh, that it was in the sight of all who passed by. And they will say, here it is, the land, this land that was desolate has become like the Garden of Eden. And the waste and desolate and ruined cities are now fortified and inhabited. So there's this making right what, what went wrong, which is a nice way to define justification too, by the way, making right what was wrong. Then the nations that are left around you, because most of them are destroyed too, shall know that I am the Lord. I have rebuilt the ruined places and replanted that which was desolate. I am the Lord. I have spoken. I will do it. Where are you in this? You're recipients of the whole thing as a gift. Um, And then I gave you a note about the city thing because I made that note. It is true if you read the book of Revelation, the Apocalypse of St. John, um, the Jerusalem is the holy city, and it is rebuilt and has these fortified walls. But there's a real important note. It's in uh, Revelation 21, I think, 22. Sorry, is that no? It is 21. That's right. Is that the gates remain open perpetually, so the people come to and from Jerusalem without restraint, without constraint? It just remind me of a question on mm. the Bible study this week. You talked about Revelation and Jude. Yes. And now are they not considered canon? Huh? It depends on who you ask. Yeah, okay. they're they're disputed. Right. I I it's in here. Yeah. Huh? Not for Lutherans. Yeah, well, not for Lutherans. Lutherans. So Lutherans have this weird, not not weird historically, but weird in today's context because so much of today's mm, Bible people are funda- what we would call fundamentalists, right? Some of them are King James only, just to really push the the like. King James is not the inspired word of God. I'm sorry, I like it a lot. Right? But. Um, so, Lutherans have, have long said that the canon cannot be fixed. And, that the, that, and then we have categories of, of the books within the Bible. That there are those that are universally accepted, there are those that are disputed. Revelation and Jude are two of those. And then there are the books that are um, outside the canon. So, not just spoken against, but extra-canonical. And so we have these categories, and then we, then we ha- have... In theory, there could be a book that, that's disputed that we could call canonical eventually, like if we had definitive evidence that... She's just singing. You're just in your own little world there, singing away about the cows. Um, Revelation could be... Like undisputed at at some point, um, but it always has been disputed as being whether it was authentic to John the Apostle, whether it wasn't a, a forgery or fraud. um wasn't all scripture inspired God? Well, yeah. that's what that's what Saint Paul says. Right. So what is scripture then? Wouldn't it be what this is? Hmm. When God had kind of hmm overseen that this would be? Yes. You see the hard you see the hard thing about saying it's an open canon. Because we, we'd like to definitively say, 66 books done, right? Um, when did John write? 70 AD is probably the last gospel to write, and he ends the gospel of John by saying, these things are written that you may believe. Anyone who adds or takes away from the words of this book, you know, um, shall be condemned. So, I, it does nothing could be written after John's death would be one argument that some have made as far as canonicity. Uh, generally canon is uh, are the books accepted by the church or not as being authentic that's the only standard we can use and not everybody accepted revelation as being authentic so it's been disputed Um, what we do as Lutherans then is just like um, we just take no doctrine from it so we read revelation in light of the rest of scripture and we read it so like clearly John I think John wrote it I think it's authentic He has in mind this text from Ezekiel and others. He's drawing heavily from Ezekiel um, and and Daniel and others for the language of of his apocalypse. Um, But the church, I can't say it definitively as a church that we've always accepted it because we haven't. Yeah, it's a hard question, isn't it? Um, And the key is, then we also, but the other point is is that Lutherans retain the apocryphal books, the extra-canonical books, and said that those were useful for devotion and for history. So, but we don't read those. Um, and, and we just ignore them. We say, well, those aren't the Bible. And you're like, I don't know, read 1st 2nd Maccabees. You'll actually see a lot of things that happen in the New Testament outlined there, like the, like Hanukkah, the Feast of the Dedication. You want to learn about it, just go read Maccabees with the candle that never goes out, the candles, the menorah that never goes out. Then, and you're like, oh, now I understand what they're talking about in the New Testament. But it's not included in the Bible, but it informs the Bible. So that's where it gets a little bit tricky as far as the levels of interpretation. So, here's the key again. Uh, if it is a disputed book, no new doctrine from it. That includes Hebrews, by the way, too. But that's another story. Yep. Alright, uh, and then the end. Thus says the Lord God, this, this also I will let the house of Israel ask me to do for them. <laughs> I will let them ask me. Nice to increase their people like a flock, like the flock for sacrifices, like the flock at Jerusalem during appointed feasts, so shall the waste cities be filled with flocks of people. Then they will know that I am the Lord. Has God always promised to increase them? That's a creation promise, right? Be fruitful and multiply. Right? But here they're asking him to do it in faith, is what I would suggest. And... uh, this this picture we don't understand with the appointed feast but i gave you a stat there In uh, when hezekiah reformed the the sacrificial worship in jerusalem again they sacrificed in one day 3,600 animals it's hard to imagine that's like all of the vorpal farm being slaughtered in one day yeah can you imagine that never mind it's a big project um, josiah's paschal sacrifices so passover involved 41,400 animals. That wasn't in one day, but over 7 days. So that's what they're saying, like that. That's how we want to be, like those days when we had the city was full of animals bleeding and bellowing and whatever animals do and smelling and that's what we want our people to be like again, which is actually beautiful, right? And then you hear the good shepherd language again, which is why this text is on Good Shepherd Sunday. Although we don't read this part on Good Shepherd Sunday. All right, thanks for the questions. Um, hopefully that helps maybe flesh out a little bit of what you heard in the sermon too about the heart of stone, heart of flesh, spirit, old spirit, new spirit, the things that I would do I don't do, all of that, all right? And as always, you can go and uh, use the online resources if you want to go watch or listen again and then bring your questions next week and we'll, or send me a text or email or whatever and we'll answer it again. All right, be with you all. Bye, thanks Abigail. Thank you.